0: Season 1, Episode 10... This is Black History Moments, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of people that I feel like were forgotten throughout our history or who we just don't show enough recognition to. This episode is dedicated to and covering the iconic, the legendary Marsha P. Johnson. This episode was inspired to cover her because her birthday was recently. Her birthday was actually August 24th, and I ran across an image of her and I was familiar with her story already but I revisited a documentary about her that I had watched a while ago so I wanted to watch it with fresh eyes and when I watched it again I was just thinking okay We have to cover Marsha this week. It is her birthday week. And what better way to pay homage to her rather than a new podcast episode? So there is a quote by Susan Stryker, who is an associate professor of gender and women's studies at the University of Arizona. And the quote says, Marsha P. Johnson could be perceived as the most marginalized of people. Black queer gender non-conforming poor you might expect a person in such a position to be fragile brutalized beaten down instead marcia had this capacity to find joy in a world of suffering she channeled it into political action and did it with a kind of fierceness, grace, and whimsy with the loopy, absurdist reaction to it all. And I thought that it was a great quote and I wanted to open up this podcast episode with that quote. Marsha P. Johnson's case has been cold for over 28 years and... Again, what better way to pay homage to her and also bring more awareness to her case than this podcast episode. So this episode is dedicated to her. Now, kicking things off, let's start at the beginning of Marsha P. Johnson's story. She was born Malcolm Michaels Jr. on August 24th, 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and she was the fifth of seven children in a working class family. Her father, his name was Malcolm Michaels Sr., and he worked on an assembly line at General Motors. They had a factory in Linden, so that is where he worked, and her mother was, um, her name was Alberta... Claiborne, and she was a housekeeper. So when she was around five years old, she began to wear dresses. And she felt the pressure to stop doing so because other children would show aggression towards her and begin to bully her because of the way that she dressed. So back then, they called wearing clothing that wasn't in line with what was expected of your gender as cross-dressing. And later, Marsha said in an interview towards the end of her life, that That she was sexually assaulted when she was around 13 years old by a boy. So she started attending church with her family. The name of the church was Mount Timon African Methodist Episcopal Church. Try saying that 10 times fast. And her family was very involved in the Christian faith and also very involved in church. Now, due to Marcia's upbringing in the church throughout the rest of her life, she was a devout Christian, and later on, she was drawn more so to Catholicism. But one thing that I loved about reading Marcia's story is that she regularly visited other houses of worship for other faiths frequently. And I think that that is a good thing because sometimes we can get so caught up in what we believe in that we begin to shun and ostracize others' beliefs, which just continues. Continues to perpetuate this cycle of my belief is better than your belief, and your belief is beneath mine. So I thought that that was a great thing for Marsha to do. Now rewinding back to high school, Marsha graduated from Thomas A. Edison High School in 1963. The high school was located in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and right after graduating from high school, Marsha moved to New York City. Later on in life, she said that she moved there with only $15 and a bag of clothes. Now, I'm not sure how true it is, but I have read from several different articles that Marcia's family was not exactly accepting of her lifestyle and how she identified. So going to New York City was like an act of liberation for her. So it was hard back then. So I don't know about you, but I know... Um, When I think of the 50s and 60s, um, I typically think of the civil rights movement, so bus boycotts, sit-ins, etc. I never considered this aspect of the 50s and 60s. So back then, New York State had just downgraded sodomy from a felony to a misdemeanor and that was in 1950 but persecution of gay people and also the criminalization of their activities were still a common thing same-sex dancing in public was prohibited something that I never um, considered before reading about this the state liquor authority banned bars from serving gay people alcoholic beverages people could be charged with sexual deviancy for cross-dressing and at this time being gay was classified as a mental illness in the United States of America. Gay people were regularly threatened on a normal basis by police and they were beaten by police and they were also shunned by many people in society. Therefore, it was hard for many of them to hold a job down because people would not hire them to work for them. So after Marsha P. Johnson moved to New York, she began going by the name Black Martha. This was a persona for herself that she created. It was almost like a rebranding so that she could get outside of Malcolm and start to live how she always deemed herself. So she started going by Black Marsha at first, but later on she started going by Marsha P. Johnson. And the P stood for Pay It No Mind because when people would ask her questions about her life choices, whether it be her gender, her identity or who she was sleeping with she would always answer pay it no mind that would be her response to them whenever she got those questions and the surname Johnson came from Howard Johnson's which was a restaurant that she liked to hang out at regularly so that is how she arrived at the name Marsha P. Johnson. So being that it was extremely difficult, almost impossible for gay individuals, especially outwardly gay individuals, to represent themselves in society. Um, Of course, they would be shunned and they were not able to hold down steady jobs. A lot of them would engage in prostitution or sex work. And because of that, they were often arrested. Marsha was no different with this. So she said that she stopped counting all of her arrests after the 100th time she was arrested. And she later said that she was even shot once. And she will often be found at these like low down kind of motels and hotels where these things will happen and one of them is now the Hotel Carter on West 43rd Street near Times Square but at the time that was the Dixie Hotel you can often find Marcia there um, and she said in a quote once that the ones that used to make the most money was the boys that could wear their own hair with just a little bit of makeup. So here is where things pick up in our story. On June 28th, 1969, Marcia was at the Stonewall Inn, which was a bar on Christopher Street in New York City. At the time, this community, this location was the epicenter or the hub of the gay community. But that day, early morning, things turned violent, and this is where the revolution started. The police forced over 200 people out of the bar, out of the Stonewall Inn, and onto the streets. It was there that they began to use excessive violence against them. LGBTQ plus people were arrested on questionable charges they were handcuffed and they were publicly forced into police cars right there on the street so the lgbtq community was fed up they were tired of this persecution from the police in new york city and they were tired of being targeted by them so they saw this and they took this as an opportunity to start their own revolution they spilled out into neighboring streets for several days and this is where things got fierce for them. So there are many different stories about the events that occur at this time. Some people call it a revolution. Some people call it a rebellion, a riot, or an uprising. But to me, it's all the same. Marsha B. Johnson took this time to really spearhead a lot of the um, protests and walks that occurred right after Stonewall this moment in history was the jumpstart or the first domino to fall, which actually prompted the first gay pride parades in 1970. Now, not only was Marsha P. Johnson, um, one of the main figures in this movement, but also her friend, Sylvia. Sylvia was also a trans woman located in the same area. And Sylvia was more of the, spokesperson. So Marsha was like the sun, and Sylvia was like the rain and thunder. Sylvia brought everything that she had to the table, along with Marcia, So, they joined forces with these marches and with these protests, but unfortunately, as the movement grew, trans people and people of color were pushed to the side, although these were the same people that really sparked the movement in the first place. So, instead, the faces and the leaders of the movement shifted to white men and women and honestly one of the saddest things that i saw while i was researching this was sylvia's story so the march of 1973 there was a stage where they had different speakers now mind you sylvia and marcia had been vocal advocates to jumpstart this entire thing But during this event, during the March of 1973, they did not want Sylvia to speak on stage and she fought tooth and nail to get on stage and be able to address the crowd. Now, when she eventually got up there, I watched the footage of the event and it just really broke my heart because once she got up there, you know, she fought to get up there in the first place. And then once she got up there, the crowd just insisted on booing her and they just did not welcome her with open arms. And I thought that that was just so heartbreaking. So you can, if you watch the footage, you can just see the hurt on her face because imagine you are a member of this community your community is supposed to accept you before anyone else does like that is what you would expect right but that was not the case for Sylvia and they booed her and she was so upset that when she left that march trigger warning um I'm going to be mentioning something coming up When she left that march, she was so upset with how the crowd received her and reacted to what she was saying. And she was only trying to say that they wanted to be included in the movement and that they were doing what it took to be able to help people within their community, people that have been arrested, people have been writing them letters from jail saying that they needed help and they were doing everything that they could to help those people. And she felt like the gay community was not doing what it took to protect trans people so she goes back home which was the star house and I'll tell you what the star house is in a little bit so she goes back home to the star house and she tries to take her own life and Marsha came home and found her and thank God that she came and found her when she did because she was almost dead and she actually had to get 60 stitches in her arm and she would not have lived had it not been for Marcia coming to find her. So I wanted to tell you all that because it just really broke my heart that trans people and people of color were one of the main or the main people to jumpstart this movement and then they were pushed to the wayside during the movement. So the star house the star house stood for street transvestite action revolutionaries and this was started by marcia p johnson and sylvia and it lasted from 1970 to 1973 and it was basically a location where they would have kids um they could stay there if they were kicked out if they were shunned if their families didn't accept them if they were living on the streets they could come there and stay and it was an advocate for young transgender youth um it would house them, it would clothe them, it would feed them at this location. And Star actually grew to provide services for LGBTQ youth, um, not only in New York City, but Chicago, California, and also England. Imagine having a movement so huge that it spreads to England. That is just, it's just... <laughs> It warms my heart. So not only was Star providing a physical location for them to live, it also grew to be a revolutionary hub of sorts, I guess you can say. So Marcia said in a quote that... The goal of hers was to see gay people liberated and free and to have equal rights that other people have in America with her gay brothers and sisters out of jail and on the streets again. Now, she also added, in a reference to the radical politics of the time, again, the 70s was a sight to see, um, she said that we believe in picking up the gun, starting a revolution if necessary. Now, her fame, I guess you can say, really grew in the 70s and she met Andy Warhol he took Polaroids and pictures of her and actually included her in a portfolio of his in 1975 and I thought that it was interesting that um, I was watching an interview with her sister and her brother and her sister and brother said that she told them that she knew Andy Warhol and they were friends and they actually didn't believe her just because it was kind of like yeah right get out of here so I thought that that was an interesting little tidbit for you all. Now, as the revolution progressed, um, Star House was disbanded in 1973. I'm actually not sure why I couldn't find any information on that, but as the revolution progressed, um, Marsha P. Johnson's Fame again grew And her persona grew Now Marsha was someone who did not Shy away from clothes or dress She was unapologetically Herself which is something that I admire unfortunately a lot of other people did not think that Marcia was stable and you can even see that today where you have free-spirited individuals who just don't care about societal norms some people will view that as a negative and they think that okay that person is quote crazy or off their rocker just because they don't subscribe to what society says that they should so this was the case for Marcia at the time and people would say um that she was crazy and she would say in response to that, that I may be crazy, but that doesn't make me wrong. Now, Marcia had experienced a lot of loss, especially at this time. And she was grieving a lot of her friends who had passed due to people killing them, or they were in jail or behind prison doors, or they had passed due to HIV or AIDS. Now, in an interview in 1992, Marcia said that she had been HIV positive for two years now. So that means that she contracted the HIV virus in 1990. I said all of that to say because there were several people who used to refer to her as crazy, um, and they were really talk down on how she would be because sometimes she would be in front of a Catholic statue grieving, crying, and people would say that she was crazy. But she had experienced a lot, not to mention she was still, you know, living in poverty. She had been living with a close friend of hers for years now by this point. Um, So she was dealing with a lot. So I really wish that people had more compassion for her at the time. Here is where things get funky again. Marsha's body was found July 6th, 1992 in the Hudson River near the Christopher Street Piers. Now, quickly, almost immediately after her body was found, the police ruled her death a suicide. However, there is conflicting evidence on what happened to Marsha. Someone said that the last time they saw her was July 2nd. Someone else said that the last time they saw her was July 4th. The person that said that they saw her on July 4th, her name was Kitty. Now, Kitty said that she'd seen Marsha earlier in the day and that they said that they would meet up later that night to go out because, of course, it's the 4th of July. Why not go out? Um, And her body, again, was found on the 6th. So I'm giving you a timeline here. Now, Kitty said that when she showed up later that night, she was waiting on Marsha, but Marsha never showed up. And someone told her that Marsha had gotten in the car with some mm, iffy-looking figures, some iffy-looking people. And people were thinking when they saw her get in the car, she shouldn't have gotten in that car. So that is the last Kitty heard or saw Marcia. Now, also there was a call that was made to police on July 5th. So that is the day before Marcia's body was found. Now this call was reportedly saying that Marcia was being followed by two men, but the lead was never followed up by police or investigators when they found Marcia's body in the Hudson river. Um, one of the people that was there, a bystander who was on the pier... He said that when they pulled her body up, there was a hole in the back of her head. However, it was not listed on the medical examiner report. So a lot of people rallied together in the gay community to go to the police precincts because the officers weren't giving the necessary attention to the disappearances and the murders of trans individuals. And they weren't giving the necessary attention to Marcia's case. And there are several theories surrounding Marcia's passing. Some people think that it may have been Dirty Cops that did it. Some people think that it was the mob. Some people think that maybe she did jump because she was dealing with so much in her life. Now, Marsha had a fear of the mob. Her roommate, who I mentioned earlier, was investigating the mob's involvement in the Gay Pride Festival. They were involved in the festival because they were kind of like organizing it and spearheading it. It had... Moved from being in the hands of people within the community and somehow the mob got a hold of it and they were now the ones that were handling um, the Gay Pride Festival, which is ironic because they were some of the same ones who did not allow gay people into their establishments and businesses, but... I rest my case on that. Now her roommate was investigating them because they were raising money for this festival and their MO was, okay, we are going to raise this money and organize it. And we're going to use the money we raise. Well, the money we raise, we're going to use that money to invest back into the LGBTQ community, but they weren't doing that. And I actually saw an interview where they asked a member of the mob, um, You know, about this money, about the funds, had it been dispersed back into the LGBTQ community. And he kind of like bypassed his answer. He was never able to give a solid answer as to where the money has gone. It was very vague. So Marsha was afraid of the mob because the mob had actually been making threats towards her and her roommate. So that's a theory that people have as well. Um, and her roommate actually said that maybe Marsha was not home because she didn't feel safe with the threats that the mob was making. So, those are the theories surrounding Marsha's death. And this case has been cold again for over 28 years. In 2022, it will be 30 years that this case has been cold if they don't, you know, close it by then. Now, they did take her medical exam to an independent medical examiner. And he said that there was no evidence of violent assault against Marcia, But there was also no evidence to say that, you know, someone couldn't have been chasing her. And that is what caused her to fall over into the water. So we just don't know. Now, I do want to include these stats from the human rights campaign um, and this is for the United States in 2019. So in 2019, at least 25 transgender or gender non-conforming people were fatally shot or killed by other violent means. 91% of that number, they were black women. 81% were under the age of 30, and 68% lived in the South. Now. This, again, is a quote from the Human Rights Campaign. They said that this is not a new problem. In the seven years that the Human Rights Campaign has tracked anti-transgender violence, an average of at least 22 transgender and gender nonconforming people have been victims of fatal violence per year. We say at least Because the stories detailed in the report very likely undercount the number of transgender and gender nonconforming people who were killed in the U.S. this year. Although advocates, bloggers, and media groups have elevated the epidemic of violence against transgender and gender nonconforming people in the past several years, Um, Data collection is often incomplete or unreliable when it comes to violent and fatal crimes against transgender and gender non-conforming people. Some victims' deaths may go unreported. Others may not be identified as transgender or gender non-conforming in the media. Others, you know, because authorities, journalists, and family members refuse to acknowledge their gender identity correctly, that may be a factor in them being undercounted and if you may be thinking to yourself well 25 22 20 something that's not you know a bad number in a year I just have this one thing to say one person is too much one person being killed is too much So that is why I wanted to include those stats and numbers, because even now today I hear stories. It seems like every week or every other week of violence against black transgender women, it has to stop. Now, I want to end this episode with a quote from Marsha P. Johnson that says, As long as gay people don't have their rights all across America, there is no reason for celebration. I hope that you all learned something throughout this episode. And I also hope that you will share this episode with a friend. Thank you for supporting and for listening. And remember that you too are Black History. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys.